Valley Studio presents We Are Here, an audio journey exploring Black excellence in cyber. Hosted by Ron Eddings and Chris Cochran. In part one of this series, Ron and Chris interview the powerful Patrice Washington, one of the world's most popular podcasters and authors. This is a story of ascension and community. Here in the studio, and I'm excited to introduce our guest this episode. We're going to be crossing a bit of a chasm. We've brought in Patrice Washington. She's also known as America's Money Maven, and she's reached millions of people and helped others redefine their wealth. Patrice, you also have a new book coming out called Redefine Wealth for Yourself. It's amazing to have you on the podcast and welcome. Thank you for having me, guys. I feel so special to to get (laughs) to be here with you all for this conversation. I'm excited. The honor is ours. I love that we have this mastermind that we're doing together. And also all of the wisdom that you're putting out into the world, whether it's through YouTube videos, whether it's through your books, your podcasts, there's just so many mediums that I think that you've touched across the world. But for the folks that don't know who you are just yet, would love to hear a little bit about your background and what you're doing today. Oh, man. Yeah. I always tell people that when they see all of the things and all of the the accolades or achievement, don't get caught up in that. Like I'm here, not just because of textbook, although I have the background in education, I'm really here because of a testimony. And the work that I do today was really born out of a time just like this one, where there was a lot of uncertainty and just a lot of unknowns and a lot of what we've experienced over these last 10, 11 months or so. I got my start and really understood who I was being called to be in the world during the last recession. So in 2009, picture this, you have a mid-20-something-year-old woman who graduated from the University of Southern California with honors, business degree emphasizing in entrepreneurial studies, started a real estate and mortgage brokerage during senior year in college, grew that business to a seven-figure business by 25, and then at 28 years old, she's on the bathroom floor, bawling and snotting and crying because she's gone from this seven-figure business to scraping up change, Mm. literally. And you guys know the drill. I don't know about where you grew up, but I grew up in South Central Los Angeles. I'm Belizean American in a household with a single mom and a single grandma who raised me. And all I ever heard was go to school, get good grades, and you'll be fine. And you can basically make it out the hood. Yep. And I did all the things. I checked all the boxes. And as a matter of fact, I was the one, right, of my my family, my cousins, my friends, even from college that had quote unquote made it. And I just couldn't wrap my mind around, so how am I here? How am I applying for welfare? How am I digging through couch cushions and old purses looking for change to get milk for my newborn daughter? What the hell is this? (laughs) This was not what I bargained for. This is not what I went to college for. What is this? And for me, it was in the bawling, snotting and crying and saying, God, why me? Like, how did I get here when I've done all the things and I've been a good person and I operate integrity? I heard a still small voice that was like, get your Bible. 
And I always tell people, it doesn't matter to me what you believe, even if you take it as a quote. But the quote was, the scripture was, what good is money in the hands of a fool if they have no desire to seek wisdom? What good is money in the hands of a fool if they have no desire to seek wisdom? And here I am, having passed the real estate broker's exam on the first try and having all my little certifications I've been building up in this degree from USC. And that was the first time that it hit me. I had a lot of knowledge, information, education, but I didn't have wisdom, which is how to apply it, when to apply it, with whom to apply it. And those are two completely different things. And I made a promise to myself, this is March, 2009, that if I'm ever restored, I just want to go. I didn't even have, my faith wasn't on a 10. Let's be clear. I was in the midst of the worst time of my life. I wasn't like, oh, when I make it back, I was like, man, if I ever see any measure of success again, I just want to go everywhere I can and tell people that this journey is not about just chasing money. It's about seeking wisdom. And I've lived my life with that mission since March, 2009. So all of the books, all of the media, All of the work that I do is because I just want to be true to that mission because I know what it felt like to feel like I had done the right things and still be in the midst of a financial storm. And smart people have challenges with finances, too. Definitely. I think when you really look at it and see where we all come from, a lot of us don't get the education from our parents or relatives or people in our network to really show us what wealth can mean, not in just a financial term, but what wealth can mean even for your life and your well-being. What was the turning point for you? Like after you went through this struggle and this hard time in 2009, what did you start to implement to turn everything around to get to where you're at now? To be honest, the next day, so two weeks before I had this breakdown in the bathroom, in that teeny tiny bathroom, I was in a Starbucks not getting coffee because let's face it, I couldn't afford it. I was just trying to get water. I was in Louisiana and it was hot. And Mm. I looked over and I saw this group of women with their laptops and they had kids in strollers and they looked like a little clique. And I had a newborn baby. I was like, I'm in a new town. I don't know anyone. What's up with them? What's that? Is that like a mommy support group? Because I definitely need some support (laughs) in my life. And one of the ladies in a get coming to get creamer or whatever. And she was standing there and I was like, is this like a mommy support group? And she said, no, we're bloggers. And I had never heard of the term before. I owned a brick and mortar business. So I wasn't into anything online. And I was like, bloggers, what does that mean? And so she explained it. And she said that a lot of the ladies wrote about their kids and all this. And I was like, write about your kids. I like, I was not (laughs) interested. (laughs) I was a new mom, but I was like, why would I write about Reagan, my daughter? I don't get that. But that's cool that you can write and people can find you from all over the country and you can build community. All of this was like new territory for me. And when I had that moment on the bathroom floor, the next day when I woke up, I was like, I could do one of those blog things, literally no real depth to understand what it all was. I was like, (laughs) I could do one of those blog things and then share this with other people because my first grade teacher, Ms. Boynton, shaped so much of my life. And I used to be the kid that would raise my hand and want to answer all the questions. And I remember one day she kept me in for recess. And she said, Miss Cunningham, which is my maiden name, when you know something, you have a responsibility to share with your friends. It's not enough that you have to share what you know so that everybody moves forward. 
Mm. And she let me in first grade be like, a, I thought I was the teacher's aide. You couldn't tell me I wasn't grown getting a paycheck. I was going around <laughs> checking people's work. Telling, I'm, I told my mom, what could I have been educating my peers on in first grade? I have no idea, but I was into it. And she planted a seed that whenever I learn something, I have a responsibility to share. And so it's no wonder 20 years later, I'm even in the midst of my own crisis I wake up and I'm like, at the minimum, I should just share with people what I'm learning. Like at the minimum, you should just share the lessons that you're getting as you go. And that's what I started to do with that blog. I started to, I didn't even understand it. It's the ugliest, most hideous blogspot.com you've ever seen. Mm. I didn't understand any of it, but I wasn't committed to knowing everything. I was just committed to this idea that I need to share. I need to share. And that even if one person reads, an audience of one is still an audience. And that's the same spirit that I've done pretty much everything with. I know that we always are thinking of the return on investment, but my return on investment is sometimes if it's one person, I'm okay with that. I've been blessed that it's reached millions, but it's always been like, if it's one person, I'm good. That's a heck of an origin story because I feel like you might be one of the only people in podcasting that talks about purpose more than we do. And I do feel <laughs> like that we start to build that purpose when we're kids. Do you feel like that's when your purpose began? And then how did you start to figure out what your purpose was and how to best apply it in your mediums? Yeah, I definitely think that it was always there. I did. I don't think I realized what my purpose was. I think the first step for many of us in childhood is to accept or embrace our gifts. And my gift was in teaching others. My gift was in taking what may have felt complicated to my first, second, third grade peers and breaking it down in whatever way that I thought I was, just being grown, just being the teacher. But <laughs> as years went by, not all of my teachers embraced that. I, w I was like the bossy kid or I was a know-it-all. I met a few teachers along the way who were like, you need to sit down. You can't help anyone. And so what was a gift all along, I started to dismiss because I didn't necessarily have people like Ms. Boynton anymore who were validating that as a gift. And so as I grew up, I'm tall. I'm 5'10". I have long fingers. People are like, you should play piano. You should play basketball. You should. So I started to think that gifts had to look like dribbling a basketball or doing all these other things. So like most of us, many of us, I would say people I've met, I went off doing all the things. And for years, I dismissed that this was a gift. I dismissed that speaking was enough. I dismissed that being a good writer was enough. Like I could do something like that. And I went off to pursue what was going to make money. Now, I also enjoyed real estate at the time, but let's face it, the real estate market was booming. I was a personable kid and I was willing to do the work. And I was like, why didn't everybody just get rich early? Like, duh. Like, I was like, <laughs> this is easy. I was, I can pass a test on the first try. I'm a great test taker, all the things. But it wasn't until I had that moment where I had to come to who are you really and what do you really want to do and really go, I want to help people not feel how I feel right now, even though I still feel it. And then think about what are some of the ways you've always been good at that? 
And when I landed on speaking and writing, that was the most boring thing Like I could have ever. I was <laughs> like, do you know anyone who's made money as a speaker? I didn't have a frame of reference for that. Do you know anyone who's educated other people on personal finances and actually been able to do themselves? Do you know anyone that's doing this type of stuff? I didn't. So it's not just acknowledging the gift. Then it's like embracing it, like allowing yourself to evolve into it. So it was just, it was little things at first, you guys, but I would be lying if I was like, I saw the whole vision. I didn't. I saw the next best step. I was like, I just want to do this. And if it helps one person and it, it became, it was a new chase for me. Whereas maybe I was chasing money and validation from others in my earlier years. This was different. I was chasing the fulfillment I felt when I was of service to other people. And that is the thing that's been like, man, when I thought about my real estate career, how I really grew that business with my now husband, then best friend, boyfriend, we grew it because I was out educating people on how they could step into home ownership. And I was breaking it down and I was making it plain. And I was like, what if there's no real estate transaction attached? How can I feel the same joy I felt when people used to get an aha moment and go, you mean I really can own a home? You mean if I do these things, you're telling me in six months, 12 months, 18 months, I can have my own house. People can't put me out of someplace anymore. I'm like, well, you still got to pay your mortgage. But those aha moments and, and really educating people that really made me happy. But now it was going into this land where it wasn't to get them to a real estate transaction. It was just for the sake of empowerment. And that was scary because I hadn't seen it. I hadn't really seen it done. And I had I didn't have any examples of a, a Black woman doing it either. And I, I looked to what I could find on the internet. And there weren't people that looked like me, but it was enough to let me know it's possible. I feel so, so connected to you right now because I feel the same way. And I'm, I know Ron does as well. We felt like we stepped out into this like realm of the unknown. I felt like we were in this boat and everything is pitch black, dark. There's no map, but we're just paddling away because we know we're going somewhere. But it's hard when you can't see that in an example. It's hard when you can't see the blueprint in someone else. What was that moment where you felt this is it? This is exactly what I need to be doing. Was there a moment? And could you walk <laughs> us through that story as to when you were like, I am on the right path right now? Oh, my gosh. I don't know if there's been a moment. <laughs> like, I think every level reveals a new limiting belief I've had to work through. So I feel like I've had several moments where you're like, oh, especially as an entrepreneur, this is what I'm called to do. And then three months later, you're like, is this what I'm supposed to be doing with my life? <laughs> I was very certain in October, but that was January and I'm just a little uncertain. So I've had different levels. I would say at all, at every turn, it's been the God wings. I call them God wings. It's been not the huge things. And as you guys know, I've had some really incredible opportunities. I did four years on the Steve Harvey Morning Show, right. nationally syndicated radio, answering people's questions, my own segment, my name, 
with my own theme music every week. I've been a regular on some incredible shows and I've spoken all over the world. Like I've had these great opportunities, but honestly, those were not the things. I feel like every time I've known you are on the right track, keep going. It's come from an email. It's come from a DM. It's come from a thank you card in the mail. And when I'm battling the imposter syndrome or the like, man, are you sure this is what you should be doing? It's it's seeing what my work has produced for people that I will never meet in person. And knowing that every time I step out of myself and get over myself <laughs> and, and I don't succumb to the noise in my head, but I stay true to the mission in my heart, like that there's going to be people served on the other end of that. And and sometimes it's enough for me to know that it's not about me. Like sometimes for me, that's enough. Like, girl, okay, you didn't have the best day. Cool. <laughs> but this is not about you. Or, okay, yes, you got rejected. Because for every yes, be clear, there's been no's. Like I was told by a, um, what is their title? It, it was like the head of a radio station in the Midwest before I ended up on the Steve Harvey show. I had pitched myself for a money minute segment and the guy came back and his email was, your voice is hideous. This is, no. yeah, this is like 2011 or 12. Your voice is hideous. And I was like, sir, hideous though? That's extreme. When you're uncertain and you already have all this doubt and you've already been through all the, these traumatic things, stuff like that can take you out. If I would have listened to that, which the first several hours after reading that email, and you know how it is, like you read it over and over again. Is it hideous or is this a sh word? Like, maybe I don't understand his language. Like, maybe this means something else. Like I replayed it and read this email over and over again. And for a minute, that doubt that was creeping up when I thought about doing the blog, even in 2009, it, it was that, well, who do you think you are? And then. I had to like remember again, look at how you served people and helped people and done things that help move other people forward just with what you had, which was not much. It was a free blogspot.com that turned right. into me writing for other blogs. So it's been the people, like it's been the progress of the people that is always the validation and the affirmation to keep going, even when I don't feel like it. And I can tell you in 2020, I definitely had those moments where it was like, man, <laughs> 2020, if you weren't questioning a few things about yourself, your life, which like your business <laughs> with this time, I don't know where you were, but I definitely had those moments. And it was the people who would show up and who would respond to things that I had written years before or interviews that I had done years ago. They're like, I heard you on such and such podcast do four years ago. I don't even remember what I said, but knowing that I contributed my voice to the conversation, even in spite of fear, even in spite of a fear of rejection, even in spite of the times that I doubted. And man, that served someone four years later. I'm going to do it again today. Yeah. I'm going to do it again. And four years from now, what we're recording today is going to be such a blessing to someone. And that lights me up. It sounds like you're a real example of not only working for yourself, but living for yourself. It sounds like you're really constantly putting yourself in the best position to feel fulfilled. 
And mm-hmm. sounds like you're doing pretty well. You have your business podcast. So it shows that you really don't necessarily need the money to be fulfilled and be happy and really reach the areas in life that you want. And I think one of the things that about COVID and being locked down right now is this a perfect time to redefine yourself, redefine your wealth, mm-hmm. redefine your life, and really just start over and give everything a fresh shot. I think a lot of people in the cybersecurity industry are, are also very high paid, but they reach burnout because they're doing things for money specifically. Oh. What would be something that you would recommend that you've learned over time to disassociate yourself from being so tied into doing things for money and others mm-hmm. to start doing them for yourself? Oh, Ron, that was good. That's a good question. <laughs> There's so much that has happened over this decade or so with me rebuilding my life. And what I tell people all the time is I love what I do. I, I adore what I do, but I'm not all working money. The reason that I can show up the way that I do and I'm grateful for you just even acknowledging that is more so the work that I've done in the other areas of my life. And one of the biggest lessons that I learned when I lost everything was that wealth was never just about money and material possessions and the titles that we carry and the salaries attached to those titles or the the gross revenue attached to whatever we say we do in the world. The other thing I learned besides the difference between knowledge and wisdom, was what wealth really was. And when you get past the surface level definitions of wealth, the real definition, the original, the 12th century definition of wealth is the condition of well-being. And I learned that on the bathroom floor. Like all of that happened around the same time. I didn't quite know how to articulate it yet. Like I got it, but I had this strong sense that in the midst of trying to figure out how to truly embrace what I felt like I was being called to do and what next best steps I could take. And even through the negotiating payment plans, let's be real, (laughs) with the creditors and all the stuff that was happening at that time, I started to really focus on other areas of my life. And none of them have been like, oh, I aced that. Let me move on they're still continuously a part of my awareness. It's a very intentional setup. Like my calendar is intentional, how I set my life up. And so what I talk about on my podcast, Redefining Wealth, are the six pillars of wealth. So for anyone, especially when you talk about folks in cybersecurity and reaching that burnout, I want to share the first pillar of wealth. What I've learned is the first pillar of wealth is about becoming your best self. It's about becoming your best self. And I call it the fit pillar. And people get an attitude when I say that. They're like, oh, gosh, she's going to go into this whole go to the gym and I can't go to the gym. We're in quarantine and all the things. But hear me out. Here's what I've learned. If we have a vision for our lives. If we know what we want to create and what we want to leave as a legacy, let's say for our family and our communities and whatever it is we want to do. We have a duty and responsibility to protect the only vessel we get in order to execute that vision. None of us gets two and three bodies. Like we don't get all these extra chances, but yet many of us, for the sake of the title or the validation 
or the gross revenue or the salary or whatever we attach it to will run ourselves into the ground. We will burn ourselves out and not take care of ourselves and yet say, I want to do such and such thing in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. You don't have a right to request that if you're not going to take care of yourself today. How can you? But yet we live in a society that glorifies burnout. I don't know about you guys. They don't call it that, but then yet they're like, you got to be on your hustle and grind. Like it's 3 a.m. What you doing sleeping? (laughs) Like They're like, it's team no sleep. Be on your hustle and grind. So it's damn, do I rest or do I like be on my hustle and grind? And so I've learned that when I take better care of me, I show up better. I perform better. And as a byproduct, people want to send me clients. They're like, like I, people are always like, how can I support you? What can I do? What can I give to you? And I think it's because I go to sleep. I think it's because I drink water. (laughs) I think it's because I'm mindful of what I'm even just putting in my spirit, not just feeding myself physically, but also mentally. We got to be fit for this journey, man. It's not a matter of if, it's when. We're all going to face a bathroom floor moment in our own way. And those moments come to define us. And either they're going to push us further into purpose or we're going to retreat and give up. And if you're not mentally fit for the game and you're not intentional about building your mental fitness, you're going to subscribe to these antiquated notions of what success has to look like, the the stress, the striving, the burning yourself out, as opposed to being true to where you're really feeling led, but also doing that in a way where you can set boundaries that serve you, serve your purpose, and serve the people you're called to serve. And to me, that's the first thing. Because if you're not here to enjoy your wealth, what was it all for? I'm not trying to get to the point, you guys, where I'm now 60 years old. Now I decide I'm going to live my life and I'm addicted, like not addicted, but I'm prescribed prescriptions I can't even pronounce because I got all the things from not taking care of myself. Come on, man. I'm not here for it. I'm not here for it. So that's the first pillar. And that's such an amazing philosophy to live by. And it reminds me of something else that I heard you say in another interview, and it's this concept of people are saving money for when they're sick instead of investing in their health that they have now. And I felt like that was such a powerful sentiment. I'd love to hear where that actually came from. That came from me ending up in the emergency room. In 2015, as I was getting ready for a national book tour, (laughs) I went because I had food poisoning and I'm in the ER. They run all the tests. They give me the IV, all the things. And I think he was a resident. He was a young guy. He came back in and he's, Miss Washington, do you know you have way more problems than food poisoning? I'm like, first of all, young man, (laughs) I've already been up all night and you're not going to like do this. He's, have you noticed any signs of anemia, iron deficiency? And I'm like, no, I don't know what the signs are. He's, have you, do you feel exhausted? I'm like, of course I'm exhausted. I'm on my hustle and grind. I've been doing my thing. I'm moving my purpose forward. I'm always on the road. Yeah, I'm used to being exhausted. And he starts going down this list and I realized how many things, how many symptoms, how many signs I had been ignoring. And I thought it was okay because I was doing good work. 
Like I thought it was okay because I was doing good work and now I was making good money again. And it was not something I would ever let my husband or my daughter do, yet I kept putting myself to the end of the list and normalizing the symptoms that were clearly my body saying, hey, he said, if you were any older, we wouldn't be referring you to a hematologist. You would be getting rushed in to have a blood transfusion. You're running on fumes. And that didn't just start. So for a woman of childbearing age, I think your hemoglobin levels are supposed to be like 12 to some number off the charts. I was like a four point something. He's like, this is fumes. If you got in a car accident, you could bleed to death easy. Like what other people could sustain, you could bleed out before an ambulance got there. You don't have anything. And I'm like, what? Like, I didn't even understand, but I have been putting that off. And so everything that I shared, like the epiphany that came out of that, I was like, how dare you be praying, God, enlarge my territory. Give me more to do. You can't breathe in Beverly Hills. Like you can't breathe walking around. And I recognized I had shortness of breath and all these things that I kept putting to the side. But I was like, how dare you be praying for your territory to be enlarged, but you're not taking care of what you currently have. And Everything that I share, like on my podcast and my books, like I wish I could have just got the lesson from something else. All of these things have come from going through my own experiences. And I spend a lot of time quiet. I I don't know if in cybersecurity, there's a lot of introverts, but I'm actually, despite what people may think when they see me on stage, I'm actually more of an introvert. And I just spend a lot of time processing all of these lessons and then doing what Ms. Boynton taught me. When you learn something, you got to teach it. So then I start testing it out on my friends. And then I'm like, oop, she's getting results. Let me test it out. (laughs) Let me offer it to clients. And the book, Redefine Wealth for Yourself, all of the work that I do now, it's literally come from having one experience after another. And all of the pillars that I talk about, learning really hard lessons, because I think some of the best lessons, you don't come out on top. Sometimes you have to take some L's in different areas to get really great lessons I've just been very grateful for the wisdom and and I'm one of those people similar to when I started the blog. When I learn it, I just try to apply it. We live right now where people are just information hoarders. They just love, they listen to all the podcasts, they read all the books, they go to all the seminars or do whatever, attend all the webinars. And then it just fills up a notebook and they're like, oh, I have all these good nuggets. I'm more committed to when I hear something right? Like this, what are one or two things that I can implement immediately? I don't have to do everything, right? But it only takes one thing to change everything. So what can I implement today, tomorrow, this week, this month, so that I can start to shift? And that's where it comes from for me. It's like seeking wisdom and then implementation, like quickly. I wholeheartedly believe that right now you are changing minds and hearts There's someone that's listening to this podcast right now that up until this point, they believe that they were chasing money as the marker for their success. But now they feel like they can actually be on a path of purpose. What is a piece of advice that you would give to that person right now as they embark on this journey? To be committed to the vision for what you now believe is possible for your life, but don't be attached to how you get there. It's going to be a journey. It doesn't happen overnight and practice self-compassion and grace. The biggest thing is that you have a new awareness. So what are you going to do with it and how are you going to implement 
the best that you can, whatever one thing you can, just remembering that one thing can and will change everything. Patrice, this has been such a masterclass for everyone that's listening, whether they're in cybersecurity or outside of it. Thank you so much for hopping on the mics with us. For folks that want to stay up to date with you and all the things that you have going on with your brand, what are the best ways that people can do that? You can definitely head to patricewashington.com. So all things Patrice are there. And if you're in social media, Chris has got me trying to be better with my LinkedIn. I'm working on it, Chris. (laughs) But I play, my favorite place to play right now is still on Instagram. I'm still old school, y'all. I'm on Instagram, (laughs) Seek Wisdom PCW. And I, I just welcome any nuggets that you feel like you got from this conversation. And just tell me that Hacker Valley sent you. And Chris and Ron, thank you for the work that you guys do. And thank you for allowing me to share what I do in the world. This was amazing. We'll put all that information down in the show notes. And you are the one that's amazing. Thank you so <laughs> thank much you. for sharing. <laughs> thank you for sharing your time with us today. And we'll see everyone next time. In the next episode of We Are Here. Ron and Chris dive into the lives, stories, and philosophies of four cybersecurity leaders looking to tell the world, we are here.